Monday morning. I invite you to keep your Bible in the passage that Rhoda just read for us. We're going to look there in just a moment. My wife's family has a habit, a wonderful practice of celebrating spiritual birthdays. So October 28th happens to be my wife's spiritual birthday, the day she accepted Christ into her life quite a few years ago. Unfortunately, my family did not have that practice. And so my best recollection, in a, when I was about five years old, after an incident, uh, my mother or father prayed with me, and I accepted Jesus. And that's about all I can tell you about it. They might be able to tell you more details. Well, fortunately, my wife told me about her tradition, and so we are able to tell Caleb and Rachel and Anna and celebrate their spiritual birthdays from the calendar every year. Well, actually, one of them, we kind of had to guess because she prayed the prayer outside quietly and told us about it a couple weeks later. And like many of you here today, and maybe some of you who are joining us online, I don't think my testimony of receiving Christ was particularly dramatic or nearly as inspiring as the one that Brian shared with us. But if you think like that, like me, maybe others, I want you to know that that's not true. Because every testimony of a person choosing to follow Christ is a wonderful miracle that God, that brings praise to God. At the moment it happens, and throughout your whole life, as God continues to transform you more and more into the image of his son, Jesus. And that's the focus of our passage in Ephesians chapter 2. So the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2 tell us we are dead, or we were dead. Again, I'm reading from the ESV, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passage of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Fortunately, as Paul writes to the believers in Ephesus, he tells them they are no longer dead. And as we're going to find out in the remainder of the passage, they have been made alive in Christ. However, even though they appeared to be nice, polite, friendly children, or maybe adults, they had been dead. And there's three characteristics that characterized their former lives. They followed the ways of the world. They followed the prince of the power of the air. Yes, that is a term that's referring to the devil, Satan, and his forces, his kingdom. And they followed their appetites, whether the passions of the flesh, the desires of the body, mind. And as a result of those choices, they were subject to God's wrath, his punishment. As Paul describes the same reality here in Ephesians when he writes to the Romans, and he tells them in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
and that the wages of sin is death. Ephesians, you were all sinners. You were following the ways of the world, the ways of the flesh and the devil. And because of this, you were dead spiritually on the path to eternal destruction. Now that's the bad news. But as we've already noted, Paul is going to remind them That decision at a very young age and it is real but working out that salvation so that we go against the flow of Satan's ideas of earthly thinking of natural desires well that takes a spirit-led work each and every day in order to truly and consistently be alive we need God's Holy Spirit transforming our lives let me just share one example of how well-meaning people, even Christians, can sometimes accept worldly thinking. Over the past few weeks, I've heard many people say, and many people share this quote from Nelson Mandela. No one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, then they can be taught to love. For love comes naturally to the human heart than its opposite. Now I understand the intent of what he's trying to say. And I deeply respect Nelson Mandela and the way he stood for and against apartheid in South Africa. And while I believe this is a nice, well-meaning sentiment, and there's some truth to the reality of what he's saying, that hatred for other races has been taught from generation to generation. We need to realize that this statement is not in line with the teaching of Scripture. Yes, God is love. He is the standard of love and the perfect picture embodiment of love. But Christ-like love does not come naturally to us. Selfish love comes naturally to the human heart. The human heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, Jeremiah tells us. Again, in Romans 8, Paul reminds us that the mind of the flesh is death. The mind of the flesh is hostile to God. Apart from the work of God's Spirit in transforming our natural heart, because of the effects of sin, we will and we do hate other people. Any love or any kindness we show is for self-serving reasons. Again, I use this simply as an example of how easily it is for us to adopt our planet's system of thinking. A worldview that's not actually in line with God's word. Many of us read a good quote, sounds good, sounds comforting, even politically correct. 
so we share it on social media. Because we're trying to show our support for racial injustice. By the way, the next portion of Ephesians, which I believe Pastor Dan Reinhardt's going to speak on next Sunday, probably will deal with this topic in more depth. But we have not asked God's Spirit to continue transforming our hearts and our minds. So we just echo worldly, dead thinking. Christ has made us alive. That needs to transform our hearts and minds. And as the two Dan's reminded us about in this Let's Break the Rules series, it's important for us as Christ followers to think and to choose. Not simply go along with society's view of morality or the majority opinion. I'm sure you can think of many good, nice people. You probably even know a few here in our town. Yet without Christ's transforming work, each and every one of us is dead. D-E-D, dead. Yet there's a few listening. That's the bad news. But fortunately, the good news comes in the next verses. Follow along in verses 4 to 7. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God made us alive. How or why did he do it? Well, he did it because he is rich in mercy and because of his great love for us and because of his grace. Now, for those of us who've grown up in Christian homes or circles relating to church for all of our lives, we think we know what those three words mean. But just to be clear for those watching today online, or those who might be new to Christianese. Let me just be clear. Mercy is I do not get what I deserve. As verse 3 described, what we deserve was physical death and separation from God. We deserve to be separated from a perfect and holy God. But not only do we not get what we deserve, grace means we get what we do not deserve Instead of judgment and punishment and death, I get life eternally with Christ. Hope for the future. Joy in living a life transformed by God's Holy Spirit. I don't deserve it any more than any of you deserve it. But we get it because of God's love for us. Now God's love isn't just a happy, mushy-gushy, romantic feeling. He didn't fall in love with you because of your good looks, your charming personality, or your great smart mind. No, he loved us because he chose to. Different places in the scriptures tell us that we were not exactly a catch. If we truly have God's love at work in our life, we choose to love people too. Even when they're not particularly lovable. Now that would probably be enough 
to end the message, start a party of praise. I'm sure there's some of you who wish I would stop singing. But there is more. Not only did God make us alive, verse 6 describes that he raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places. There might have been some times this week where you didn't feel very that you were seated in very heavenly places. I know there were a few for me. But while we are still located here on earth physically, your status and your position as a child of God is a done deal. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you already have your seat reserved in heaven. Your mansion is being built. And it's been reserved and booked because of Jesus. Because you accepted Jesus, what he did for you in dying on the cross and rising from the dead. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 provides a good summary of what we've just talked about. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Salvation, being taken from our dead state, and being made alive in Christ, that's happened because of God's grace. Even the faith we have to believe in Jesus is itself a gift from God. We are saved simply by trusting in what God has done. Sending Jesus to die for our sins and rise again from the dead to defeat the power of death. There's nothing we could have done to pay the penalty for our sins. Jesus did it for us. And there's no work or no number of good works we could do to earn or merit that salvation. In the same way, there's nothing we can do to undo the salvation that God has accomplished in Christ Jesus. We have nothing to boast about except Christ and what he has done. Have you ever been tempted to boast about some aspect of your Christian walk or your spiritual life? I confess I have many times, many, many times. Whether it was in elementary school, memorizing a Bible verse card and looking to see how many of my friends got 100% like I did. Or maybe it was when I got older, junior and senior high, boasted about my Christian service hours, how they were all done by the end of November, and other people crammed them in just before graduation. Or as my parents could tell you, I actually sometimes did my devotions ahead. Now you see, well, in April and May, it would be the hockey playoffs, and I knew there were some games coming, and they might go into overtime or double overtime. Then I'd want to listen to the post-game show on the radio as I went to bed. I wouldn't have time to do my nightly Bible reading. So I'd do it ahead of time. Because I still wanted to check off my spiritual checklist. Have something to boast about. What about as a church family? Do we boast about our spiritual heritage? Coming from Prairie Bible Institute? How firmly... We've preached God's word for decades, and we stand on the truth. Do we boast about how many missionaries we've sent around the world and are still supporting financially? 
or do we only boast in Christ? The work of the Holy Spirit is doing and renewing this church and the people in it each and every day. Let's take some time to continue celebrating and boasting in Christ. Ephesians 2.10. I missed the last verse. You can have a seat. I, I, I missed the last verse to explain. Sorry. Just realize it. And it's kind of important. Verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, this explains the purpose for why Christ saved us. It answers the why question. Why did Christ make us alive? Why did Christ make you and me and the person beside you alive? Well, we just read in verses 8 and 9 that no one can boast. That's not the reason, so we can go out and show how proud we are. But this passage tells us two reasons Christ brought us from death to life. Verse 7, if you go back to that, says that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards in Christ Jesus. In other words, God's mercy, God's grace were poured out on us so that others, now and in the future, could see how amazing God is. His character, his love, his kindness, his grace and mercy. They could see how rich and generous he is. And then here in verse 10, so that each person who trusts in Jesus could become God's masterpiece. If you think back to the series, when the series began, Trevor Douglas introduced us to an analogy, and I want to follow that one along. God chose us not because we were the most talented, according to the scouts, or the most likable player, or the best leader in the dressing room. In fact, many could have been chosen before us. But God chose us and made us alive to show the transforming power of his grace through our lives. He took the cast-offs, the players the other team may not necessarily have chosen and didn't think were very good, and he put us on his team. Then, by following God's playbook, getting confidence from the Christ, our coach, and working together with other teammates following the same playbook, the same coach, our team won the championship. A bunch of nobodies were suddenly holding up the Stanley Cup. Everybody knew it wasn't the star player. We didn't have any. And they knew it wasn't because we were the most talented, because we weren't. Because he had transformed these pretty average individuals by the work of his spirit into all-star players for a championship team. God saved you so that his life and his light could shine through you and you could magnify him. He's created some good works for you specifically to accomplish today and tomorrow and in the weeks ahead that only you can do through his power. He wants people to look at your life like they did Mr. Coleman who we celebrated yesterday as a church and say, wow, I never thought that Steve could do that. But once God's spirit was controlling his life, wow, Look what God did. From all the accounts I've heard, Mr. Coleman was a really nice young guy 
from just outside Leamington, Ontario. And he worked behind the scenes in much of his ministry with SIM in administration. But as you were here yesterday or followed the service online like we did, you could see that God had made him a trophy. Look what God has done through the life of one individual who said, work through me, Spirit, and do your work. Because of him and others of his time who sacrificed for years and generations, there's a church of, did it say, nine million in Central Africa? Uh, and believers around the world who hear it because it's got a big online ministry and everything else, because a few people said, I'm yours, Lord. You shine through me and make me a trophy of your grace. That's what God wants you to do, wants to do through you today if you'll give him your life.